Thanks for joining us in our series on the book of Ephesians. In this letter, we get a thorough view of God's cosmic plan of reconciliation and reunification in Jesus Christ. Its truths are vital to the Christian's understanding of personhood and the church. Cornerstone exists to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people complete in Him. Good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Ephesians together. Um, another week has passed, uh, and we still aren't meeting together. Uh, of course, the great blessing of gathering and assembling with one another has kind of uh, been withheld for a time here, and it is a loss for us. Um, we, we look forward to the time where we will be able to gather again together to commune with one another face-to-face, uh, hear one another speak in as psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other, uh, and we look forward to that day. Thankfully, though, we have some technology here, some video technology, some audio, some ways to communicate that we are going to try our best to leverage and actually help one another stay somewhat connected. It is no substitute for the real thing. We know that. This is not the way to regularly do it. But in a pinch, we understand that we want to use these things that are helpful for us, uh, video, audio, the internet, uh, to help us stay connected and to encourage one another as we are on this journey in maturity in Christ. Uh, So that remember um, together that your identity has not been changed by your circumstance. We rejoice together that we are united in Christ. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 1, uh, verses 3 through 14, then we'll pray and we'll get going. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's take a minute and pray together. Jesus, we praise you with the psalmist and say, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Lord, you have done great things. There is no one like you, And we want to join the hosts of saints that have gone before us in praise and adoration for our God. Lord, today we are looking at Paul's benediction that praises you for all that you've done. Uh, And the truth is it will be a tidal wave of praise and blessing to you, the God of the universe, who alone does great things for your people. But Lord, even this morning we know that we have hard hearts. We know that we can easily tune out. Uh, We know that 
Unfortunately, it's very easy for us to minimize the glories of Jesus Christ and the benefits that are ours in him. And we know that this can easily become just another time where we come hear some more church stuff. But Lord, we desire to see with eyes of faith and hear your word afresh so that you might change us. We, we want to be changed, Lord, so please do that. Please help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, would you cause us to look at your word carefully, uh, help us to understand, and therefore would we rejoice in the God of our salvation. We pray that you would bless us through the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, I had a conversation with my wife, Kristen, about uh, preaching this week. Usually once in a while, she'll kind of ask throughout the week how things are going with the sermon, what's going on, uh, do you feel like you're progressing, understanding it? Um, and usually I kind of respond with what's going on, how things have gone, and, and what my progress is. But when she asked me this week, I, uh, I kind of unloaded a little bit and complained a little, uh, mentioning that I thought I was getting into a book study and that that meant that this was supposed to be a lot easier. Um, but as you know, uh, we're starting to realize that I chose Ephesians, uh, which is a book that begins with the doctrine of election. Uh, it doesn't like ease into it. It goes right into it. It doesn't like build a case for it. No. Within the first four verses, it gives us the clear, unambiguous words, he chose us. As if like we all understand and we're totally cool with that doctrine really easily. Like, yeah, that's, we understand that. This flies in the face of what we naturally think is true about our relationship with God. Uh, we know that he's powerful and that he gives us Jesus and all these things. And he is the only one that has the power to save. Um, but we, we, we kind of come to him, right? I mean, that's what's going on. And I mean, he puts it out there for everybody and just kind of waits to see what will happen. If, you know, they're going to believe the gospel or not. Paul is going to help us understand the truth. He is going to help us look behind the veil, a look that shows us the incredible God-ordained process of salvation, of redemption of his people. We're going to see that this is not just kind of truth that we have to stomach, but it's actually truth that points to one major beautiful thing, God's grace. Last week we began by looking at the greeting, verse 1 and 2. It was a typical Pauline greeting. Um, he kind of started out identifying the sender, who was Paul, identifying the recipients, the Ephesian churches, uh, or Ephesian church and those that it would be sent to, of course. And then uh, he kind of gave them that, we talked about that prayer wish of grace and peace in Christ. In most of his letters, what Paul does then, he starts the opening greeting, and then he moves on into a prayer of thankfulness and petition for the people that he's writing to. But in Ephesians, he doesn't do that. Well, at least not yet. He introduces his prayer down in verse 15. If you look there, you're going to see it. He says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he begins that. But that means that he has taken time to stop off and give us some extra stuff, something more between the end of verse 2 and verse 15. In the book of Ephesians, we see that he begins with a benediction or a eulogy. Now, it's just a fancy way of saying a praise to God, a, a, a presentation of praise and adoration to God. Instead of jumping straight into this idea of 
praying for his people, Paul jumps into a praise for God. That's his first thing out of his lips. His praise to God goes from verse 3 all the way down to verse 14, if you look there. Unless you think that it is just us modern-day pastors that are really good at stringing together run-on sentences, I would have you know that verses 3 through 14 is one long, huge, run-on sentence in Greek. Uh, It's just one sentence comprised of 202 Greek words. Paul is really a master of stacking up important subordinate clauses on top of each other, one to communicate the process of the next, and just pregnant with all kinds of meaning, showing us the greatness of God in this process of salvation. And this benediction really is a tour de force when it comes to praising God. You're overwhelmed and you're like, there's no other way that you can see this. He will make sure, Paul will make sure that everyone knows that God is worthy of all praise and that no one else can even stand as a distant second to him. No one else has an enacted redemption, only God. And this is to his praise. And the truth is there's, there's so much here that you and I, when we read verses 3 through 14, we can easily get lost. There's so many good things to talk about, so many ideas to think through. But what happens is, by the, by the time you're working through these things, we, we can't really remember what the other things were that happened before it, and we're not really sure why he's saying some of the things, because we can't process all of it. So, Let me just point out some structure here. I think it will help us kind of get an idea of what he's doing from 3 to 14. In verse verse 3, right at the beginning, we get a summary statement. It's almost like a title, but we get a summary statement of all that's about to come from verse 4 all the way to 14. Uh, If someone is taking notes down and just trying to get Paul's highlights, what they could do instead of writing out verse 3 through 14, they could just simply write out verse 3. And that would be enough for them to actually encapsulate the whole thing. Then verses 4 through 14 contain four indicative statements that outline our redemption. Now, when you look at your own text there in English, your translation, you're going to see it looks like there's more than that, more indicative statements. But the truth is this is kind of a smoothing out of many clunky, run-on sentence and modifiers and all this stuff and trying to make it sound better. This isn't a bad thing. It's actually very helpful for us. But for clarity and making sure we understand which points are important here, the Greek verbs helps us to see, they help us to see that there are only four major indicatives that follow after verse three. So in verse four, and you're going to be able to see them pretty easily. In verse four, you'll see the words, he chose us in him. Then in verse seven, so take a look at verse seven, you'll see the words, in him we have redemption. Then look at verse 11. You'll see the words, in him we have, an, we have obtained an inheritance. And then if you look down at verse 13, and you're going to have to follow with me for a minute. Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So I'll go back there. You'll see in him you also, and then you're going to have to skip over some of those important subordinate clauses to get to the very end of the verse. In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So this is the way that Paul is describing all that God has done for us. As he says in his little title statement, every spiritual blessing. That's what he's explaining here. So verse 3, summary statement. Title of what's going to happen here in this benediction. But then it is followed by the four indicatives that outline our redemption. He chose us in him. 
in him we have redemption. Think about this salvifically, right? The, the story of salvation. You have, again, he chose us in him. In him we have redemption. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And in him you also were sealed with the Holy Spirit. Paul is praising God by telling us the story of our salvation. He's telling the story of our redemption. So that's the structure of this benediction. What we want to do today is pretty simple. Um, originally, I'd planned to, to bite off verse 3 through 6. Uh, there's just so much from 4 through 6 that I think it's right for us to make sure we give time to that next week. All we want to do today is look at that summary statement, that big picture of what all this is going to be about. We'll look at verse 3. Uh, in the following weeks, we'll take a look at each one of those indicative statements to help us understand um, the fullness of what Paul is saying. What he is sometimes, the truth is, he's kind of almost even assuming. It's not like he's going into uh, tons of detail. He's almost just saying this, 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 because he's getting to a point where he's trying to help us to understand that this is to the praise of his glory. Now, I'll be honest. There's so much here uh, that I could simply preach like one phrase, and we could do that, and that wouldn't even be a bad idea to do that. However, I think the content, although it would be good, it would help us, unfortunately, get lost in the weeds really quick. And I don't want us to go too far in, so I won't do too much narrow stuff. Uh, there's a lot for us to plow through here, and we're going to do our best to try to understand, um, but we will not be able to turn every single stone over. What this will do, though, if I can encourage you, church, to think about this in your homes, in your community groups, and all the different things that come out of this discussion in this sermon series, that we're working through this together as well. And looking at other places in Paul where he's explaining this. Looking to the Old Testament, looking to other reasons and other places in the New Testament, looking to Jesus and what he says. All these things will help us as we try to understand what Paul is doing. Paul is a master of the Old Testament. And he understands Jesus. We talked about that kind of a few weeks ago that he sat under the tutelage or the, the teaching of Jesus himself for probably about three years. He was revealed, Jesus was revealed to Paul. And so when Paul speaks, he is speaking theologically, understanding all of the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ. So it's a good endeavor for us to continue to learn Paul, which we will attempt to do, trying to make sure we understand the book of Ephesians together. So let's take a look at verse 3, the summary statement of this benediction. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul begins with worship and praise to God. Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul uses this word, now we don't speak like this very often. We, we actually, in our liturgy, we often do it. We've read it before, but Paul uses this word bless in a way to explain that he is praising God. Paul is not making God any better by doing this thing. He is ascribing praise or worth or value to one who already has it. He, God cannot grow anymore. That's not what's happening here. So Paul's using this word. In the scriptures, the term is used to describe the action of giving praise to one, specifically when it's talking to God, praise to his worth. The psalmist does it in many of the psalms, but for example, we actually read one already this morning, Psalm 72, 18, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. 
or Psalm 41:13, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Paul, again, being a very good student of the scriptures, understands how this is used and ascribes that praise, that worth, that value to the one who is exalted, the one who is deserving of that praise. He does this in other places in his writing, just to mention too, is Romans 9, 5, he does the same thing. And then 2 Corinthians 1, 3. There's other places as well, and they don't act any differently. He uses that same terminology, Paul's offering praise to God. Further, we should ask, why didn't he just say praise? If you look at this, uh, you'll notice he says this statement, blessed. You're going to hear me kind of, you're going to hear the sing-songiness of this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in in the heavenly places. Why doesn't Paul just say praise God? Part of this, you have to remember, is a benediction, and it's liturgical. What I mean by that is it's meant to be listened to and maybe repeated and possibly even sung. So they're learning doctrine and praising God together. And Paul writes this in a way so he's stacking up on top of each other, blessed, blessing. You receive these blessings. You are getting this idea that this is an important theme. And it's a completely good way to use that term bless as far as praise. But he uses it here for those to understand, the listener or the reader, to understand again and maybe even someday be able to repeat or potentially even sing this benediction to God and to one another. So it's actually a form of usefulness. It helps them understand. And it certainly doesn't take away from the fact that God is blessed in that, praised, And then he turns around and helps understand what the nature of why we would say that in the first place, that we are actually blessed. This is helpful. Uh, It's important then to Paul that the reader or listener would join him in praise to God. But I'll ask this, why? I mean, this is the question that we always ought to ask. It's a helpful question for us. It seems to be the one that kind of gets to the, to the, the base level to say, why are we doing this in the first place? Why is Paul praising God? Why should he bless him in this way? Well, let's read it again. See if you can think about that way. Why would he do this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's saying, bless God because God has blessed us. He's saying, praise God because he has given us every spiritual blessing. I mean, this sums up all that Paul is about to explain in verses 4 through 14. All that he is about to say, he can say it simply by saying, you should bless God because he's blessed you in all this. He's saying that our salvation from beginning to end is an enormous gift of God's blessing and grace. Unmerited, he didn't have to do any of it. He was not compelled by the cries of men or the tyranny of peer pressure. As we will see as we continue in this text, he acted and blessed his people according to the purpose of his will. Why did he bless us? Because he decided to. Why did he bless us? He loves to do it. It gives him pleasure. This is his will. Paul praises God for God's blessing of his people. But let's go ahead and take a walk through this for a minute. I want to kind of work through it. So I'll just read it again. Blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. At the very beginning, we see Paul refer to God as God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is very necessary for us actually to gain access to the Father. There had to be one who could do this. No one, and we know this is true, no one could claim to be the Son of God, but Jesus did. Um, The angel told Mary, if you remember this, back in the beginning of Luke, in Luke 1, that Jesus would be called the Son of God and that he would save his people. In Luke 4, the demons cry out, you are the Son of God. They know who he is. Uh, And we know that it is only through Jesus, God's Son, that we can be reconciled to the Father and have access to forgiveness and true spiritual blessings. So he moves on from this, though. He moves on to explain that these blessings are given to us in Christ. Paul is about to outline in verses 4 through 14 these glorious pieces of redemption, these glorious parts of salvation history. No one could ever receive any of these things outside of Jesus Christ. This is immensely important to Paul. Because when you start looking and reading through Ephesians, especially these first couple verses, you are going to see in him, in Christ, into Christ, in the beloved, through Jesus Christ, you're going to see all these things continuing to center around Jesus. Uh, Were it not for our union with Christ, were it not for his action on our behalf, were it not for his power and his love and his righteousness, positive, perfect righteousness, we would be doomed. There is no access to these spiritual blessings that God has given Jesus Christ. A person can only ever receive every spiritual blessing if they are in Christ Jesus. And the point Paul is making here, the things that Paul is about to talk about are those things that only Christ could do for his people. No one else. There's a very strong understanding that there are no other gods and that the one that they know as Jesus of Nazareth is God, that he is the Messiah and that all of the things that are needing to be wrapped up and given must come through Christ. Only in him will they find these things. No one else is able. No one else is worthy to accomplish all that it took to give these blessings to God's people. We already see uh, before, we already saw before from the opening greeting that Paul, he's kind of obsessed with Jesus Christ in in the right way, in a wonderful way. He will flesh this out in, in greater detail as we move through the benediction and continuing to show us all that Christ is involved in, both as the sphere of our salvation, but also the agency by which God did it. It's incredible. It continues to come back, the centrality or the... The absolute importance of Jesus Christ to our salvation cannot be moved out of there. There's no room for anyone else or for us to shift him away and add something that we seem to think is, is part of this. It is in Christ and Christ alone. Um, he moves on to explain that these, are, uh, that these are not just blessings that are promised to national Israel, those of prosperity or physical gain, Right? He doesn't talk about that here. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, now what does that mean? Like, what are we talking about spiritual blessing? We need to be very careful because I think, whether we know it or not, 
we actually jump to some conclusions here. When Paul refers to spiritual blessings, he is not only referring to things that, that matter in the spiritual realm, as though sometimes he just means the stuff that we can't see. Now, we'll get to more about the spiritual realm in a moment. As true as it may be, though, that's missing the point. If all he's saying is that he's going to have spiritual benefits like that are not part of here right now, like they don't have any, any bearing on us. The blessings that are being doled out are derived, get this, from the Holy Spirit. In other words, they are spiritual blessings. They are not necessarily things that only matter in the spiritual realm, but they are rather gifts that are impossible to obtain outside of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Covenant, there were several explicit physical blessings promised to Israel for their obedience. If you look at Deuteronomy 28, you'll see it outlined there. A lot of information. The blessings of children, abundant crops, healthy and booming livestock, um, good leadership for the people. All these things are blessings for his people. But in the New Covenant, there's a very different focus. Even when the prophets start talking about it, it's not the same. Something different is going on. It's a very different focus. In the New Covenant, the distinctive blessings are spiritual. And that doesn't mean that they're in a different realm completely only. Rather, it means that the Holy Spirit has indwelt his people. Those that are given the Holy Spirit. In fact, God himself was now to dwell of his people. Now he was to be in his church. This is an immense blessing that came only by the giving of the Holy Spirit to his people. And so we talk about spiritual blessings, we're talking about where those blessings are derived from. Not just who they're connected to or from, but that The last statement then in the verse, in verse 3, helps us to consider the realm. So we've talked about these things, but where has he blessed us? Last section of verse 3, in the heavenly places. Now it's easy for us to jump again here and think, okay, uh, in heaven, that must mean like where God dwells in some sort of celestial zone far above our clouds and galaxies, somewhere way out there. We know we can't really get there. But if I can just kind of push back for a moment, don't think spatially. Don't think uh, like within some specific realm over there that's completely separate from what we're doing. Paul uses this term, the same term, get this, when describing where God and Christ reside, all right, that's 1, 3, 1, 20, 2, 6. That's where Christ and God reside. And also, though, where the principalities and powers are located. We're talking about evil. We're talking probably about spiritual, like demons and angels and all these different powers. You can see that in Ephesians 3.10 or in 6.12. He's using that same idea as here, the heavenly realms. So what are we talking about? We aren't talking about blessings that are in heaven, so to speak. A place kind of like we have the idea of eternal bliss. that We cross through and then we're over in that zone over there. But rather, I'm going to use a big term here, we need to think of an eschatological perspective. What I mean by that is that it's going somewhere, the end of time, that there is another age to come and that has been inaugurated in Jesus Christ. We understand this idea. Our blessings that we're talking about here in this, this chapter, 1-3, our blessings that we're looking at here matter most for the kingdom of God. That's what we're looking at here. The kingdom that has been inaugurated through Jesus' incarnation and glorification, 
and that will be consummated one day in fullness. One day in the fullness of time as well. In other words, yours and my and the church's spiritual blessings are found in Christ and your eternal salvation and happiness and all your spiritual blessings are bound up in him, the one who has inaugurated the kingdom of heaven, the one who will win final victory in the consummation, one that will reign without rival. In other words, your spiritual blessings are found in Christ alone. And that being said, these gifts are not simply future benefits to go once you get to that place in heaven. As though when we get into our mansion in heaven, oh, this is the, the spiritual gift of this thing I got stored up and this thing. I was able to lay up those treasures right there in my house so I could really have a great time once I got to heaven. We're not talking about that. These gifts are not simply future benefits. They are real. They are for, even in a sense, now. They have been one for us in God's saving work of Jesus Christ, his son. This action then is good news for us, both in the eschaton to the age to come in the heavenly realms, but also it has an effect on us right now as we respond to him, as we live in Christ, as we walk and mature in him. And so we've walked through this one short summary verse with a few little details. I'm going to read it again for us. I'm going to make a few more thoughts here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But I want us to make a quick side observation that I think is kind of helpful here because Paul's going to run with this theme through the whole benediction, not just his opening verse. Paul blesses God, the Father, for blessing us, but the Father doesn't act alone. Notice this. After we've worked through this little verse, has anyone noticed that there's a pattern of three here? Let's take a look. We can see two people explicitly involved here, but after we've talked about a few things, hopefully some things start to click. I would draw your attention to the fact that Paul just might be using a Trinitarian framework to express this benediction. What I mean by Trinitarian framework is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Where do you see that, Chris? Well, let's take a look. The three persons of the Godhead are working intimately, being involved in the blessing of God's people in salvation history. At the beginning, we see the Father blessing us. Next, we see that God blesses us in Christ. And then finally, we see that, th that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And we just talked about that. It's not that this is some other realm. He talks about the realm in the heavenly realms. He's talking about the age to come, all that stuff. When he talks about that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, those blessings are derived from the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells his church. And so Paul is making sure that not only do we see that God is completely involved in this process of blessing his children, but we are to understand that Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons acting in complete agreement and fellowship. They are working to bless us, uh, his people. It's unbelievable. This is a very important doctrine. And Paul, almost, uh, Paul, truth is, he almost assumes it here, but we don't want to just assume it. It's important for us to make sure we get this. After all of this, though, after we understand all the pieces of this put together, we have to come back to ask the question, 
why is Paul blessing God? Why is he praising God? It is because God is blessing his people. It is because God has planned salvation history and enacted it in Christ. I thought a lot, a lot, a lot about this this week. What's the application for us? I mean, we've, we're learning a lot of stuff. When we, when we, man, when we read Ephesians 1, and I feel like this, whenever I read any of Paul's epistles, I feel like I'm inundated with so much information, so much to learn, so many good things that I want to hold on to. But as I've thought this through, especially as we had some readings this morning that were these blessings, these benedictions, these eulogies, these ideas of praise to God, I thought God gives and gives and gives. God blesses. He, it, comes, it comes at a great cost to him. It was not cheap. It was not easy for him to bless us in a sense. It cost him a great deal. He gave Jesus Christ. It is to the praise of his glorious grace. It's to the praise of his glory. As we keep looking through this, we're going to see this over and over and over again. That our attention is not drawn to the process even. Our attention, we look at the process, what God is doing, it's almost assumed that we understand it, and it's pointing us back to the glory and grace of God who blesses, who has interacted with his people and gives to them. What does Paul then want us to do with this? What should we do? This is verse three. What, what should we do with this? I, I, I think there's lots of things we can do, but I'll just say two things. Um, one, if Paul is praising God and he is recognizing these things, I think it's probably a good way for us to pattern our prayers and praises as well. These things ought to roll off of our tongues, but not as dead liturgy, not as things that just get wrote down or said because we say them every time, but meant and loved and coming out of a heart of affection. And when it doesn't come out of a heart that's true, we realize there's something wrong. And we know we have to repent. And we want that to be a praise that would come out of us normally. Consider that God, the God of the universe, has blessed us. I just ask you to consider that for a moment. The one who created everything the one who made all. We now have his Holy Spirit given to us. Our souls have been forever secured in Christ for this age and the one to come. Uh, I was talking to, to Brad Benson today and together we we're, we we're talking about the universe and the cosmos and the galaxies and all the incredible, and we're just so, so small. We are a very small planet in one galaxy amongst an enormous amount of galaxies and an enormous universe that no one has any idea how big it is. You can take some guesses. In the midst of that, there's a God who has made you and me and has interacted with us. This is astounding. If this is true, we ought to respond. But that's, I mean, that's, a, that's certainly amazing, but if we consider that for a moment, what is more amazing is that the people that he interacted with and made these things so that they would rule over this cosmos, this world, we rebelled against the one who did this for us. We hated him. We did not want to be submitted to him. We wanted to rule by ourselves. And yet, now consider our text, 
God in Christ has blessed us. Not because we were so great. We're going to see this so clearly in our next week. (laughs) That it is God's initiation working to do this. He is the one blessing us. It is not because we came and said, hey, could you give us some blessing? He chose this and he blessed us. And so, brothers and sisters, we must worship him. This ought to be praise that comes with Paul. We ought to bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing I want us to point out. I don't think this is it. There's an aspect that Paul wants us to join in praise. That's right. But Paul is writing to the church. Remember, this is a letter that he's sending to the church to instruct them in righteousness, how to live, how to love, how to be part of this world right here and yet live unto God. That means that Paul is blowing up their world and slowly, as they hear all these wonderful things that God has done for them, consider this, as you're in mind, if we get this right, our heart swells with gratitude. Understanding how small we are and how big he is. Understanding his greatness and our smallness before him and that the fact that he, the king, would reach out and adopt us as sons blows us away. And as we think this way, I think Paul is giving us fuel for joyful Christian obedience. That we don't stop and say, praise the Lord, and we had a good praise session. That we all get together and we sang good music. That's great. We all got hyped up and our hearts overflowed in praise. Again, wonderful. I think we should do that. Paul, though, is giving us fuel for Monday morning when we wake up and life is bad. And it's not easy. And we don't want to obey. We want to do what we want to do. In those times, it's very hard uh, to obey when we don't think this way. So when it's hard to obey, think on this. Understanding our blessing in him. I think Paul, again, is giving us fuel to obey. God in Christ has blessed us, his undeserving people. You and I have received unmerited grace. In Christ, we are truly blessed. So then let us rehearse this benediction and let it be the fuel that helps us understand that we, if this is not the way our hearts are at, that we would repent and we would ask him to continue to work in us this grace that he's given to us in Jesus Christ and that we need to continue, we need so that we can continue obeying and following him. We want our affections to be stirred to love and obey this king. I'll finish by reading our verse one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you have done. We recognize, Lord, that you have blessed us beyond compare. No one else can give us the things that you have. No one else could even do one part of this, Lord. No one else could choose us. No one else could give us redemption. No one else could help us to obtain an inheritance. No one else, Lord, could seal us with the Holy Spirit. But God, in your great grace, you gave to us. You blessed us, your people who were undeserving wretches. We praise you, God, and we ask that it would fuel joyful obedience. Lord, we have nothing to boast about except Christ. May we boast in him and love you with sincere hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
thank you for listening to this podcast. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.